Hey, welcome to the Comic Syllabus Podcast, where we read widely and dig deep in worlds of comics and graphic novels. I'm Paul, I'm an English educator, and I'm here to talk to you about some comics I'm reading, some comics I'm teaching, some comics that I'm enjoying and experiencing. We are going to definitely um, review and talk about Aceadora, exclamation point, by Naoki Urasawa from Biz Signature. Um, we're going to talk about Marshmallow and Jordan, a charming new graphic novel um, by Lena Chow from First Second. Um, and then some stuff that I've been reading and teaching and um, uh, collecting and some stacking. Uh, lots of stuff in the comics world. So thanks for being here. We are part of um, the MultiversityComics.com network of podcasts. And MultiversityComics.com is a great place to go for comics stuff. Uh, you can also find us at the Comic Syllabus Substack, which is at comicsyllabus.substack.com. Um, go there, and you know, if you're a listener of the podcast, I would just uh, be—it would be so meaningful to me if you would check out the Substack. It's linked in the show notes. Because in addition to this podcast, um, living there, I'm also writing there and trying to cover the venture that is Substax's investment in comics, as well as you know stuff that's showing up in shops and other kinds of pieces of um, comics exploration. So. Anyway, um, if you listen to the comic syllabus and some of you have reached out, it's been so meaningful to me to get notes from um, uh, listeners, uh, even creators uh, and, uh, you know, other critics. Um, yeah, check out the comic syllabus Substack. Um, if, if it's something you like, you know, sign up for the newsletter. Um, all right. So let's get into the comics that I've been reading lately. And uh, thank you so much for being here. It is um, October 31st when this podcast comes out, which is Halloween. Halloween! <laughs> and, uh, you know, any any comics podcaster worth their salt would be reviewing some good, spooky, scary comics right now. And there's a lot of good ones. There's like, you know, basketfuls of Tinians and something. I am just not into horror at all, or scary things, or even things mildly scary. Even even Batman is just a little too creepy for me sometimes, uh, and so uh, I, I won't be talking. I, in fact, I'm just going to go hard in the opposite direction. The, the two comics we're going to focus on, uh, decidedly not that scary. Although Asa Dora does have, um, I guess, the, the specter of some kaiju in the background, in the backdrop. So, so maybe there's something there. Marshmallow and Jordan, not very scary. Um, <laughs> most of the things I read, not very scary. Although I will say, um, so I teach uh, middle school students and, um, and I've been reading uh, Secret Coders with uh, one of my classes. So it is a, a class of, of, of newcomer immigrants, um, and we're trying an experiment, some colleagues and I, where we're teaching um, uh, coding, technologies, you know, um, engineering stuff, as well as arts stuff. So, you know, kind of the STEAM, you know, STEM plus, plus arts package in, within uh, an, an English class. And so they are reading, we are reading together, um, the... Uh, series, uh, Secret Coders, which is written by Jean Luen Yang and drawn by Mike Holmes, came out a few years ago. And it teaches coding through this story of a couple of kids at this mysterious um, school called Stately Academy. It's, it's a little bit Hogwarts-like, uh, kind of old, creepy, mansion-looking buildings with lots of mysteries behind locked doors where the combination is a, a matter of solving the you know binary code uh, 
you know, mysteries and stuff like that. So, so you know, I'm, since these are, are new immigrants that I'm teaching, um, I'm, I have a chance to teach them words like haunted and creepy and the, the many connotations uh, of the word uh, and uses of the word creepy. Um, and they're having a lot of fun exploring coding. Um, and so even though that uh, book, that book is, is by no means scary, it, it does have some of the lighter side of that language of mystery and um, and exploration and who knows what's behind those closed doors. Um, and the, of course, the great secret that they unlock is is really learning uh, how to code, which is really fun. And they're starting to learn some of that with um, with this, this uh, application called Scratch, which um, is really cool for kids to learn coding. So, so we're doing that. Uh, my other class, I'm also doing some comics. Um, uh, Jason Reynolds is a... It's super cool um, author, writer. Uh, in fact, he wrote the um, Miles Morales uh, novel that um, that came out a few years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to YA book readers, Jason Reynolds is just one of the great, great, great YA writers out there right now. And uh, we're reading Long Way Down, which is a book that Reynolds wrote um, a few years back about a, um, a young man, Will, a young African-American boy who has witnessed um, really un unthinkable, his brother shot and killed um, in, in gang violence and is contemplating sort of following the sort of rules of, of you know, the, 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 the folks he, he's grown up and been raised among to, to take action when something like that happens. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of a, it's a beautiful novel. It's written in verse and um, we're, we're kind of beginning to really dig deep into it. And I can see the way that it's really landing for, uh, for my students. Anyway, we're going to read the book. But the, just last year, actually, The um, uh, Long Way Down was adapted into a graphic novel uh, with art by Danica uh, Novgorod Novgorodov, I think. Um, and it was, um, you know, uh, just really um, evocative artwork. Um, and so we're going to read the two side by side in, in, in the comparison of media. It'll be a lot of fun. So um, I'm excited about doing that. So anyway, um, I can, I'm happy to share more on the podcast about the, the process of teaching comics and comics literacy. That's always something I explore here as well as at the uh, Comics Syllabus Substack if you want to join us over there as well. Um, yeah, it, some other things that I've been reading, I'm happy to to get into if you'll indulge me a little bit before we dive into our, our main topics, which are Isadora by Naoki Urasawa and Marshmallow and Jordan by Alina Chow. Um, I have continued to um, try to capture slash chronicle in uh, the comic syllabus substack newsletter the things that I'm reading week to week and picking up from shops. Just want to shout out um, here again on the podcast, um, the local shop that has really, really, um, I don't know, felt like a, a, a safe haven for me <laughs> in these times, which is um, called Cape and Cowl Comics in Oakland. And, um, you know, even if you're not local to the Bay Area, um, if you ever get a chance to, to hang out out here, it's worth a visit. Um, and it's also a great place to just kind of um, check out from a distance uh, because some of the, you know, sort of exclusive variant covers, the kind of events that they hold in the community, and um and stuff like that uh just really really awesome shop and um and so you know i'll pick up some stuff there and pick up some stuff you know in other local shops 
to continue to try to support them. And, um, and I'm trying to read widely. And so, you know, the monthly issues that come out and what it's pointing toward um, just, you know, kind of get, get me excited about the progress of comics. So there at the Substack, you'll, you'll see me talking a little bit about I Am Batman, the John Ridley written uh, series that um, comes off of the Future State, Next Batman, and Next Batman um, Digital First comics, where Lucius Fox's, uh, one of his sons, Jace, um, is as sort of inherited, taken on a new Batman identity where uh, Bruce has disappeared in the magistrate run um, near future of, uh, you know, kind of a totalitarian regime within a, a very dystopian Gotham. And I, I, I really like it. I think Ridley balances. I mean, you can see the the sort of um, filmmaker, screenwriter, um, you know, uh, sort of really uh, sharp craft in mixing these elements of, you know, uh, uh, politics and, you know, Batman uh, mythos and, uh, you know, lots of action, <laughs> really exciting action. And um, so Olivier, Olivier Coypel did the first, drew the first issue, Steven Segovia the second issue. I'm enjoying I Am Batman. I, there's a zero issue too. I, I like it. Uh, one of my favorite series going right now. I'm really looking forward to more of it. Um, I also talk about some stuff that I've, other stuff that I've read. I think Shang-Chi, the series that Jin Wen Yang is writing um, and DK Ron is drawing, is so um, cool. Um, and so the fifth issue came out this last month in October, or more at the beginning of the month. And I'm really excited to see how this first arc wraps up at the sixth issue. It's basically been uh, Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe premise, um, which is, of course, a premise that's been used uh, for a lot of characters. But the particular... Um, resonances of that setup given that Shang-Chi uh, as anybody who's seen the movie and I won't give up give away too much beyond the the again the outlines of the premise here um, given the fact that Shang-Chi has a history as a character in comics as you know um, <laughs> himself written out of a stereotype um, perhaps a not not terribly flattering or honoring stereotype all the time um, of the Kung Fu master um, in the Bruce Lee era, and then written as the sort of the son of, um, you know, what was the racist yellow peril caricature that was Fu Manchu. And so that's all been revised. I think what I love about um, so many things that Jin Luen Yang has done, <laughs> Jin Luen Yang has done, it has been to take um, a kind of revisionist project in superhero comics where the best of superhero traditions are, you know, are brought back to life, but the core ethics are being put um, to the test in trying to, A, you know, really kind of um, hold up the racism and, the, you know, the kind of um, dominant culture representations of marginalized peoples um, that, that were in comics in, in the U.S. in the past, and then to take so many of those things and really flip them and subvert them. And so this whole series of where Shang-Chi is facing up against the Marvel superheroes, you know, one after another, uh, you know, Captain America, Peter Parker, Fantastic Four, Tony Stark, they uh, greet with suspicion. And uh, y yes, it's somewhat understandable, given that essentially in this series, Shang-Chi inherits the Five Weapons Society, which is kind of the comics version of the movies, Ten Rings, right? But he, he sort of inherits this, um, you know, 
villainous, dastardly organization from his father, he's clearly bent on turning it around, on not perpetuating the criminal activities, the villainousness. Um, but he's also unwilling to um, to, to, to to sort of just uh, uh, sell it out or give it over when um, all these heroes come knocking and saying, Shang-Chi, have you, are you, have you gone bad? Have you gone rogue on us? And there is, to me, such a familiar um, uh, odor of the experience when, um, you know, Asian heritage peoples are greeted essentially with suspicion that um, it, right or wrong in their actions, um, they, are, they have been villainized in the past and that suspicion carries over um, to how you, you know, whatever you may be doing now, whatever your, your ventures are now, this um, sense that you are double, um, double, double talk and, um, and really smiling at you and shaking your hand, but behind your back, um, you know, uh, all kinds of Orientalist assumptions. I, I just think there's a lot of layers to it in, in doing this with Shang-Chi um, and it, part of part and parcel with the movie of uh, revisioning, um, you know, kind of the uh, the meeting of, <laughs> oh my gosh, the, the meeting of East and West, uh, which is such a trope, tropey, tired way to put it, but um, that that is within the character of, of Shang-Chi uh, confronting comics history. So I like it. Um, I'm with it. I, I think it's deep and, uh, uh, it's, it's resonating with me. Um, also I talk about Compass, which, uh, Compass, the Cauldron of Eternal Life, which is a series by, uh, written by Robert McKenzie and Dave Walker, not David F. Walker, uh, but Dave Walker and, um, and drawn by Justin Greenwood. Um, and Justin Greenwood is just a super, uh, one of my favorite artists, you know, I, I, there's, I think there's few artists who hit that um, perfect sweet spot for me between um, what can feel to me overly polished or even stiff. Um, and I don't want to throw names on the bus here since I, I definitely have respect for their work. But there is a kind of comics art that is, um, to me, a little bit over-finished. Uh, and then there's another kind that gets a little... Um, a little rough, <laughs> let's say, and I'm looking for um, still, uh, you know, the the kind of the, the taking advantage of really the I don't know the the you know the the creative um, possibilities that comics art can take, um, and and my very favorite and the very best artists I think uh, hit that middle sweet spot so well. I mean, everybody from your Jack Kirby's to your, um, even David Mazzuchelli, you know, or, um, yeah, they, they just kind of live in that amazing, uh, zone in between, you know, Alex Toth and what makes Toth incredible, um, or who we're going to talk about today, someone like Naoki Urasawa and, um, Justin Greenwood lives in that zone for me too. And Compass has been a, um, an adventure tale that is, um, I guess I would say, doing the work of showing its research. And, um, I, you know, much of the, the writing and, and, and art team is, um, is white men, but they are telling a tale that's really about, I think it's 13th century um, sort of um, Central Asian characters, Central and East Asian characters, um, and women characters who are scholars and who are kind of, you know, searching for 
the grail, the cauldron, that kind of a thing. So there's a little bit of that Indiana Jones spirit, but there's also a recognition of the all that kind of like colonial, colonialist, um, uh, uh, you know, vibe that is in those stories. And so Compass um, sort of is doing the work. The creators are doing the work to carefully research, to tell a story that um, centers, you know, characters who might, who might be uh, pushed to the margins in a certain telling of history that tends to flatten cultures and peoples and entire sort of half the, half the population in terms of gender. Um, and, and I, I think it's been a, um, I think it's been a, a humble but determined effort and you know, to, 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 to write about the cultures and to portray these characters and to um, attentively you know, study and research. Uh, and <laughs> with that, coupled with that, because that sounds very academic and, and maybe dry, um, to, to, to infuse within that so much of the vibrancy of adventure. And I think that's where um, Greenwood's art really lends so much of a kind of electric energy and kind of, um, you, know, uh, you know, almost a pulpy sense of adventure but but confronting the the pulpy uh, uh, problematic elements <laughs> that these adventure stories have taken in fiction past, um, and so I've enjoyed Compass. It wrapped up its fifth issue and its arc um, this last month. If you missed it, I definitely go back and check it out. Um, but speaking of uh, revising and revisiting um, pulpiness. Um, just this last week, Adventure Man number six came out, uh, and that's the Matt Fraction and Terry and Rachel Dodson image book that, uh, you know, went for four, very oversized, super exciting, gorgeously drawn issues, and has come back now, uh, kind of post-pandemic pause, and uh, issue six came out this last week, um, and it's just get, gotten super exciting. I mean, you know, we kind of could see where this was going, but Adventure Man is this... Uh, pulp heroes doc savage like character with a whole band a whole team of super powered serum drinking um uh adventurers and they uh you know they confront these uh, scary villains and it all happens in these uh, again these pulp novels that um our main character i forget their name um who is uh the the daughter and hair of a bookshop you know um, and she's got a son and she's super, she's, you know, very interested and curious about these stories. They turn out to be true. She turns out to be Adventure Man, you know, um, uh, reincarnated somehow in her. Um, so it's, it's, it's fun. It's got, uh, again, that sort of sense of pulpy comics adventure, um, while revisiting and, uh, revising, um, the, this, their status of, of questions of gender and of culture in, in these stories, um, uh, necessary work. So that's, um, that's some of the stuff that I've been reading lately. There's a few other things. Uh, Catwoman Lonely City by Cliff Chang is a stunning work of, of comics. Uh, great, great, great first issue. Um, and other stuff. You can check that out at the Substack. Um, speaking of Substack, <laughs> I will also be continuing to try to pay attention to what's going on um, with the creators that have been um, trying different things out at Substack. 
And uh, a couple of exciting bits um, that are happening there. Uh, one, if you didn't catch the news. So I have been uh, trying to subscribe to pretty much everything, you know, like pretty much anything that Ed is, uh, you know, going over to Substack um, as comics um, I've been interested in, at least. Um, Molly Ostertag is one of those creators, and Ostertag has been doing uh, a graphic novel class in 10 parts, which has been super, super fun. I mean, just really sharp tips from a creator whose work I, you know, respect and have enjoyed. Um, but now, Ostertag is actually, uh, who who recently, I think, uh, entered uh, the 30s, entered, uh, celebrated a birthday, uh, 30th birthday, so happy birthday to Molly Knox Ostertag, um, is, is announced that, uh, the, you know, her latest graphic novel, Darkest Night, is going to be um, published first on her Substack and first available to um, paid subscribers like me, and then available to the broader public um, for free, which is great. Um, I, I like I like the idea that I get to see and read early, again, part of a privileged club, to comment and talk up this um, the, their work and support them as a creator, uh, but that that it will not forever be available only to me and other <laughs> others like that. But that they you know. Uh, Darkest Night is going to be available out there. So, um, Ostertag announced Darkest Night. There's a, a multiversity piece on it too that you can check out at our site. Um, but Magdalena Herrera is the uh, main character um, who has a secret locked in the basement. And um, yeah, and uh, you know, there's there's kind of the first page already, uh, first pages, uh, first. So, I don't know strips. I don't. Know, what do we call an installment of Substack Comics? We're gonna we have to come up with an original name for it. The first scroll of <laughs> of Darkest Night uh, is is there, and it is great. It, it looks fun. There's a even a song that um, Ostertag uh, links into it that you can kind of add some some musical ambiance as creator intended to the story. So um, I'm digging that. I'm excited to see more of that come out. I'm excited because. Um, Ostertag already, you know, has provided the promised um, good content in, in in the form of the graphic novel class, but now is is doing comics on there, which is so cool. Um, others are doing comics on there too. I've talked on this podcast about Chip Zdarsky's comics and Public Domain and Captara, which are there. Um, and I've talked about Jeff Lemire's Fish Flies, which I'm really enjoying week to week, and I'll continue to try to review when it gets to chapter closings. James Tinian has also done a bunch of stuff um, connected to Department of Truth, as well as Blue Book with Michael Avon Oming. Those are coming out pretty consistently. Uh, and and we are starting to see there on their Substack um, some, some stuff starting to come out from other uh, creators as well. Um, shouting out now... Uh, Three worlds, three moons. Is that what it's called? <laughs> three moons, three worlds, one of those. But basically the Jonathan Hickman, Mike Del Mundo, um, and Mike Huddleston, um, and among other creators who are crafting this big old world and we're getting to see it in process as those creators are still wrapping up, of course, their big old you know Marvel projects and things like that. Um, and I gotta say, I... I I've been a little disappointed that the comics are taking so long, you know, as a paid supporter who's really looking forward to the comics, but they are giving plenty of back matter material and kind of, you know, fun events. They did a Grant Morrison interview where uh, Morrison talked about like, you know, 
whole bunch of stuff about their process and that was a, a pretty pretty fun thing and they recently did a kind of like draw and chat between Hickman and Del Mundo which is a lot of fun and just watching Mike Del Mundo draw which is uh, you know blows my mind um you know Del Mundo using Clip Studio to do things. I also have Clip Studio. I can't do that. <laughs> it's not just the software, y'all. It's really the talent. So just watching him design a character as Hickman sort of chats and, you know, um, just kind of off the cuff thinking and talking. And now they're all reading Dune. They're Sorry, watching Dune together and thinking about Dune and just kind of digging into um, really good sci-fi fantasy stuff together as they craft this world. It is... I admit, at first I was like, oh, how about some comics, you know? Um, but I'm enjoying seeing the, the backstory fill out of this world, even though I'm pretty eager. I hope that pretty soon we get some more. We've seen some, like, inked pages and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I'd, love, I'd love to see more comics. Um, same with uh, Kids Love Chains. Uh, really good, uh, you know, sketches and events, live streams, stuff like that. This is the Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman uh, Substack. Um, and they have released some comics. Vanish, which is um, showing up on, on their Substack first as well. Um, we've seen some some really great pages from that as well. But um, I have to, you know, I, I got to admit that I, there have been others that have been disappointing. Um, and, you know, ones where, you know, I'm, I, I went in for a year of support. But if I was doing monthly, I'd have to be like, hmm know that i'll continue to support because you haven't posted anything in over a month and a half <laughs> so is this a is this happening here and you know i understand it's it's independent comics that it happens um artists you know need time and I, i'd rather they have time and, and be able to put out quality work um i don't i almost never regret nor never think twice about patronage of these creators and you know the the life things they have to deal with i'm not so hungry for these stories that i can't have a little understanding that things take time i do feel however uh, a little bit of um yeah maybe buyer's remorse <laughs> for just going all in and supporting uh, various sites i won't name names but uh where i'm a little bit like hmm, are you are you going to show up for this here um but i do also still want to jump in with appreciation for um kelly thompson's substack and the sort of process interviews process interviews with um carmen carnero and elena casagrande man those are amazing artists and to have the kind of in-depth interviews about their process of costume design or whatever is going on is is, is super fun so check out 1979 semi-finalist kelly thompson's substack really worth seeing um adrian Tomine, who's who was kind of the writer in residence for the month um, had some interesting interview posts on um, on Tomine's Substack, um, and that was really cool. Um, you know, we're seeing um, bits of work and a lot of you know honesty and self-effacing comments, but that really don't <laughs> because the work is great. I just love the pages that we're seeing from um, from uh, Sophie Sophie Campbell's uh, page uh, Substack, which is called Barf. <laughs> and the, the the posts are titled things like Blark I failed and meanwhile posted right next to it is some gorgeous Sophie Campbell art so um yeah please go support check out those those creators and the wonderful things that they're doing at Substack okay thank you enough waiting 
Let's get into Isadora and Marshmallow and Jordan. Here we go. All right. Um, Naoki Urasawa is one of my favorites. 20th Century Boys. Um, Pluto. Pluto's a high on my list of all-time comics. Um, Mr. Keaton. I always think Buster Keaton when I think about Mr. Keaton. Um, lots of great manga. And, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I'm, not, um, I'm not as well-read in manga as I want to be. There's, there's, actually, there's a lot of things I, I own, and I just haven't read. And I don't know why. I, I think maybe it's that I've tried a lot of things, and it's um, either been hard for me to get in or to stay in. Uh, not so with Naoki Urasawa's work. And um, Mujirushi, Sign of Dreams, uh, was really cool, really cool work. Um, recently that I read pretty much anything that Orisawa comes out with I, I, I will try and Isadora uh, came out a few years ago um, in translation uh, via Viz Signature didn't know what it was <laughs> like so many manga collected volume 1 volume 2 came out I collected volume 2 volume 3 came out I collected volume 3 and uh when trying to decide whether to pre-order volume four, seeing that it was coming out in a little while, I thought I maybe I should read this <laughs> and see if it's actually good. And uh, no surprise, it was great. Um, Asadora, you know what? Here's the thing. I actually didn't know anything about it before going into it. And I want you to have a similarly enjoyable experience. So, so, so no real spoilers. How about that? I'll talk a, around the work without actually getting into the details too much of the work. Uh, I think I already revealed one spoilers thing, but I don't think it's a huge spoiler. Um, it is a delightful book. And, you know, from the cover, you see a, a photograph of a little girl. There's a sense from the photographs, um, you know, material um, <laughs> look and the, and the sepia kind of uh tone that we're 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 living at least a few decades ago you know maybe mid-century in japan of course um Isadora is the girl on the cover and just looking at the covers you will see this little girl growing bigger older and you will also see um images of um of airplanes um you will also see other characters <laughs> This whole avoiding spoilers thing is making this for <laughs> making for very very bad podcasting talk, um, but I I will hold to it because because I I want you to read it and I, and I want you to 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 kind of take delight in where it goes um, because I had the pleasure of not knowing anything about it as I said and really feeling at first like uh oh I don't know how comfortable I am with this story there are elements where. Um, you know, I see it come up in manga and anime now and then, and it has to do with uh, older men and and younger uh, girls, and it makes me really uncomfortable. Um, and there's a little of that here. I, I just have to give that disclaimer. Um, where things that don't, you know, understandably don't feel right, don't look right, um, kind of get righted. Um and there's something that uh, over the course of storytelling, I think, I think you know, the storytellers, you know, any, any modern storyteller with any sense, sense, sensibility 
will <laughs> will recognize that um and in a sense they're they're capitalizing on it because i think the discomfort you know in this story is fairly obvious and and intended and then um and then you you're supposed to kind of come to come to terms with it as you get to know the character it's it's like uh the way parks and rec a uh, very lovable show started with uh, characters that were totally ob obnoxious and unlikable um, <laughs> or something like Friday Night Lights or something like that. And so, so Asa Dora is Asa, the main character, the little girl on the cover is charming through and through, but it's kind of the others in the, in the situation. Um, the adults, especially that um, you don't feel so, so comfortable with at the beginning. Um, and then of course they, they change status and really it becomes, it, it remains, it continues to be a story really about Asa as a hero and what Asa has to step up for um, while um, other characters get introduced that complicate the picture, that um, really keep it moving between something on a very large scale, a very like save Japan, save the world kind of scale and a very sort of like intimate small scale, you know, this this uh the surrogate families that form around friends and and people who care for each other um and uh and meanwhile this heroic girl is uh is heroic and awesome um urasawa's storytelling craft is 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 really uh what sells it for me um if you uh there you know there's a lot of um of redundancy in the panels that creates rhythms of human interaction that coupled together with really brilliant characterization. I mean, Urasawa is among comics artists, probably in the top handful for me, in terms of ability to create rich, nuanced characterizations. You know, part of that is that um, Urasawa's always had sort of a cast, you know, like a cast of actors that, um, I don't know, like... Uh, like uh, Kurosawa, you know, director who loved certain actors or Scorsese or whatever, you know, re-employs certain characters, but 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 they 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 really do feel like actors who have within them tremendous range. There can be darkness, there can be um, humor, there can be levity, there can be hopefulness, there can be fear, there can be anxiety, and and it all um, comes out in such great subtlety in the body acting, in the face, in the in the sort of like rhythm of panels, rhythm of panels that uh, that Urusawa does so well, um, and everything just expertly drawn, and you know there's something about it too that um, is manga without over employing some of the manga tricks. You know you you'll find nary a sweat drop, which is of course like universal to manga unless it's actual sweat it's not just like sweating it sweat it's actual sweat because they're actually uh running <laughs> um not just uh, nervous or or self-conscious um you know and so um and so what what really it becomes is a story that um uh see i, I don't know i don't know how to content warning without <laughs> giving away too much except that you can have a little faith if you can, if you can have it, that do that, you know, things do turn out, um, and and I think it's a good story for even a YA audience. Um, but uh, yeah, to to put a little bit of more flesh on the story, essentially, Asa um, adopts the 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 you know the the task of becoming a pilot who will potentially save uh, 
um, you know, the country from a fate that befell what seems to have befallen um, her own her own family. Um, that's enough. <laughs> I'll I'll leave the rest to be a surprise for you. Um, but what what I think um, really sells Asador to me is that there's um, in the past Urasawa books that we've been treated to, there is this rich cast of characters, but um, I think to have um, the story centered on this little girl really pushes against some of the uh, the gendered, um, you know, kind of boy focused, uh, uh, you know, past uh, stories that Urasawa has done, and so we see more of um, Asa and some of the friendships that she's developed later, and some of their concerns and worries that that pop up. And I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's um, it's progress without being a revelation of of you know complex gender uh, diversity, I guess. Um, but uh, given the setting and the time period, um, the sort of uh, historical fiction dimensions of it, I think that there's. Um, yeah, there's much to appreciate in reading Isidore. Um, so four volumes are out. Uh, we end for volume four. Really think about to get into a climax. I don't actually know how long this is This is um, set to go for. Um, it could be much longer, but we've been building basically toward a climax that uh, we uh, are, are now set to see uh, with volume five. So check out Isidora and uh, let me know what you think. Love to hear what y'all what y'all think about this Viz signature series. Uh, by the way, I have found that I'm about, I don't know, eight for 10. You know, I'm about 80% with Viz signature series. Um, if it's coming out from Viz signature, I have found that even in spite of myself, I will really enjoy it. Um, about, you know, 80% of the time. <laughs> Just good stuff. Um, you can see why it's got the signature branding. Um, so yeah, that's one thing that I've been enjoying and reading since uh, Volume 4 came out. Another thing that came into my, um, you know, from my poll the, this past week is a graphic novel from uh, First Second by Alina Chow, a creator who I was not familiar with, but the solicit art on Marshmallow and Jordan was so good, I could not not read it. Um, could not not pick it up. Um Marshmallow and Jordan is um, written and drawn by Alina Chow, who is a filmmaker, has worked on Star Wars Clone Wars animated series, um, also illustrated picture book The Nian Monster, um, and, uh, and grew up in Hong Kong, and um, you know, her family is Chinese Indonesian. And what I you know, was fascinated by is hearing the name Alina Chow and a little bit of the art, I thought this is going to be, it looks like a beautiful comic. It is an incredibly beautiful comic. I'll talk about the art in a second. And then I thought, you know, oh, okay, Chinese surname. It's going to be culturally familiar, and, I'm, and and maybe it's just going to touch for me on some themes and experiences that I can relate to, if not identify with directly, if people I know, you know. And I, and I was dead wrong. And I think all my assumptions, my very um, uh, East Asian, uh, you know, Chinese-centric, uh, assumptions um i i didn't realize that it was very much elements of the chinese indonesian um 
culture and and um, location that uh, that would really come into to um, you know significant play in this story. And so there was much to it, um, spiritual and religious, cultural, um, in terms of like the situation of schooling, in terms of the um, Chinese, Indonesian, and the Indonesian um, culture, community, food um, experiences, etc., that um, was much more of that sort of Southeast Asian um, uh, provenance than I, I know about from my own life. And so in, the, in that sense where something is like, you know, has its mirror aspects where you're like, oh, yeah, I can identify with that. And then has these window aspects where you're like, oh, I, I, I really didn't know about that. And it's really, um, you know, I can identify with a whole lot of the feelings and experiences, but I'm also learning a window to another another world or another culture. Um, it, it is that. It was that for me. Um, Marshmallow and Jordan is uh, about Jordan, who is a girl who, after an accident, um, uh, is, is has a disability and um, used to be a basketball star um, at uh, her middle school but since the accident is in a wheelchair um, and she is sort of like a player coach now, you know, now she's, she's, she was such a um, star on the basketball team that she is really kind of teaching and, and mentoring as we can see the other members of the team, including the little sister of a friend um, who, um, you know, they were little league champions at this uh, Kahawaii uh, multicultural school. And, uh, and, but now she's, um, you know, she's still spirited and positive and, really wonderful character um, Jordan is, but um, is feeling, you know, the, I don't know, the sadness of, I loved basketball um, and I, and I, and I'm still around the team and I'm still a part of the team, but I can't, can't get on the court and play. Um, and then she encounters uh, Marshmallow, who is a small white elephant. Um, not white elephant, like a gift exchange, like a, like a, like a small elephant. Um, and, um, uh, you know, see, it seems like in a sense, a kind of answered prayer, a, a pet elephant <laughs> who winds up, you know, staying with Jordan and living with Jordan and being a source of comfort and kind of splashing around and having fun and protectively watching over her and being by her side as she goes through all these things um, internally and socially where, where, you know, eventually she um, tries out swimming. Um, she's got a phenomenal arm, great shooter, right? Uh, she's got Steph Curry posters on her wall. Didn't know that, that, that my Steph Curry fandom would <laughs> wind up connecting in this story, but there it was. And um, ends up joining the water polo team, which she can do because, um, you know, she's able to swim. But um, in the water polo team, she goes from being, you know, the basketball sort of top dog to... To really having to earn the um, the the equal treatment and respect of particularly one, you know, leader of the water polo team, and it's really sort of her needing to both swim um, primarily with her upper body, and you know, of course, catch and throw with it. That um, she, although athletic and talented, and with, with all the drive and wonderful personality that you could ever hope for from, um, you know, a young athlete, she's she's got a lot to overcome. Uh, anyway, all of that. You know, sports stuff is mixed in with the social stuff, is mixed in with the familial and personal and really very spiritual stuff that is involved with Marshmallow. Um, it sounds heavy. It's actually super gentle. Um, you know, my, my, my kid and I read it. And there's something about stories like this where you don't need 
Oh, for goodness sake, like we have a lot of stories and we sure do enjoy a lot of stories with epic world building fantasy, blah, blah, blah. And to have a story that has such drama and such um, beautiful art and is really gripping is a page turning story in the sense of wanting to know how she grows and, and admiring and loving this character, you know, without having to have like terrible falls from grace. She's not perfect. Um, and we see moments of that but um jordan is uh i'm a huge fan of jordan now um and uh and of marshmallow and then there turns out to be at the end uh, as i won't give away um you know um a kind of a resolution and a kind of meaning behind all of it that pulls it together really really nicely in ways i didn't expect um chow's art is beautiful um there's a reminder a little bit of you know the aforementioned uh, molly knox Oster tag, there's a quality of the colors, and I don't know if it's done digitally or um, physically, that um, reminds me of Katrina Chapman, one of my um, favorite art styles, you know, that I, I didn't expect. It's the kind of thing you just see with your eyes, and and that use of color in a kind of, um, I don't know if it's like sort of a pastels or a kind of, um, you know, almost a color pencil type of flavor, type of vibe. Um, but yeah, beautiful colors. Um, a, a kind of soft and gentle, um, but very, uh, you know, warm type of, uh, type of style of art. Um, and the, the sports, you know, and an elephant, a really cute pet. Uh, we, we brought a bunny into our life, into our family, uh, about three months ago. And so since then, I've just been feeling very differently about, um, the significance of animals who provide, um, psychological and and physical uh, comfort and and you know you kind of find yourself in your relationship to these pets um uh, marshmallows pretty awesome pretty great i need a marshmallow in my life um <laughs> so yeah marshmallow and jordan by lena chow from first second um definitely worth enjoying and checking out um with your young reader or without i'd say um, if you're listening to this as an adult, um, as a teacher, librarian, etc. Yeah, so that's kind of my review of two things I, I would recommend um, with all the caveats I mentioned, but with all of the joy of getting to be a comics reader. Um, these are both books I, I think will wind up, as so many of my books and comics do, on the shelves in my classroom where I will push them on students who you know, um, show signs of interest in this or that, or this or that tone, or this or that kind of story. And, um, and uh, I'll keep reporting back to you here at the Comic Syllabus how that goes as I venture and explore the world of comics and graphic novels um, as an educator and parent and as a fan and enthusiast myself. Thanks for listening. Um, I just uh, will repeat what I said at the top. There's been uh, a couple of you have corresponded and written, um, and I got to say, regardless of how many paid subscribers or whatever stats. Um, sometimes I admit to y'all, I do get a little discouraged, um, you know, knowing that there are other comics podcasts for whom uh, I think that, you know, latching on to the right hype or being of the right, um, I don't know, comics geek um, background and tone. And <laughs> maybe it's just having co-hosts. Maybe it's just like, two dudes talking that's just way more fun than one weird teacher droning on <laughs> get it i listen to them too and have a good time with them but um anyway 
All that to say, your support, your writing me notes, your um, reviewing on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever, um, and your sharing on social media about about comic syllabus, it means the world to me. It's just really nice. It makes me feel not alone in the exploration of culture and of arts that we do here at the Comic Syllabus. And so um, keep them coming. And thanks to those who have who have t- uh, reached out and touched base. So, all right, let's keep reading. Thanks. Take care. Yeah.